I welcome you to the Strength for Life podcast. I'm James Johnson, and in today's podcast, I interview one of my heroes in the faith, Dr. Sam Davison. If you were at our outreach conference, you got to hear Brother Sam preach, and it's very likely you saw why he's one of my heroes. He's a faithful expositor of the Word of God, not just for years, but he has been for decades. He's bold in his convictions, and yet he's also very humble. Brother Sam was the longtime pastor of Southwest Baptist Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, as well as the president of Heartland Baptist Bible College. In this interview, I asked Brother Sam about the keys to longevity in marriage and the keys to longevity in ministry. Plus, we talk about what it means to be an independent fundamental Baptist and whether or not it's okay to use the term old paths. Brother Sam has lots of wisdom, and I encourage you to let the biblical truths described in this podcast provide strength for your life. Brother Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I have several questions I want to ask you, and the first one uh, has to do with heroes. Who would you say are some of your heroes, maybe present day or even biblical heroes past day? Well, biblical heroes, uh, my heroes are the prophets. And I would start with Moses and then, of course, Elijah, Elisha, and then uh, the major prophets that we have the most record of what they dealt with and everything than the minor prophets. And I think the reason they would be my heroes is because of their confidence in the Word of God, their confidence in God to say what God said. They didn't have their own agenda, but they were committed to fulfilling God's agenda. Mm -hmm. And the courage, stamina, boldness that it took for them to say, thus saith the Lord, under the circumstances of their world and their culture and their time. I, I love that, I admire that, and long to see more prophet preaching yeah, amen. in our own country. I know you are, um, among many titles, you are a homiletics professor, and so you encourage students to, to do just that, to explicate the scripture, not to get up there and hobby horse preach, and I think that's in part at least what you're saying about what you respect. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, I'm not teaching anymore. I stopped in 21. Okay. Uh, but I, my heart is still there, and I missed the class, but I felt like that's a decision I had to make, but yes. And one of the things I tried to teach is, is oftentimes with all the faithful uh, study and you know exegesis and apl application of hermeneutics, oftentimes where sermons fail mm -hmm. is the unwillingness to make the application clear mm -hmm. and strong. Mm -hmm. And that's where the prophets come in because they had the boldness and the courage mm -hmm. to say thus saith the Lord and what it meant to the people they were talking to. Mm -hmm. So who are some recent day heroes? Who are maybe men in ministry in this century or the past century that you've seen, that you've admired, that you feel like are, are following a biblical pattern for proclaiming truth? Yeah, uh, I think one of the heroes that helped me has uh, died in recent years, but a man that I really looked to was uh, W.E. Dow, hmm. and W.E. Dow was with the old Baptist Bible Fellowship, one of the founders of the BBFI. Um, he pastored the flagship church, uh, High Street Baptist in Springfield, Missouri, and then he pastored in Jacksonville and then back to Missouri. But I looked at him as the man of God among independent fundamental Baptists, at least one of the great men of God. Hmm. 
and uh, just his willingness to uh, lead, to sacrifice, to give him himself for the purpose of preaching the gospel and uh, encouraging other preachers. He was a great source of encouragement to a lot of preachers, W.E. Dow. Amen, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, if my tabulation is correct, you have been in full-time ministry about 56 years. I think you started in 1967. That's correct. And uh, you are a hero to many preachers. Uh, What would you say are some keys to longevity in ministry, having been in it for 56 years? Well, it's hard for me to imagine anybody would look at me that way, but uh, in terms of the long-term uh, commitment, I, I really think that um, it boils down to this, to love God and love people. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds simple, but uh, I'm, I'm very, very convinced that since Jesus said mm-hmm. that the uh, first and great commandment is to love God and then to love others. I, I don't see how we could go around that and say, say anything could be more important than that. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it, every one of us have to do, uh, have to walk with the Lord, have to have uh, the understanding that to abide in Christ is to keep in His favor as well as to keep in love with him mm-hmm. and then it's through our love for him that we're able to love others also mm-hmm. I mean, it's just to me it's it's fairly simple yeah and uh we have to fight the flesh we have to fight the world the devil yeah but our devotion affection and love for god helps us keep focused on loving the people he loves yeah amen yeah, yeah. last night you preached helpfully from romans 15 and you mentioned a few I forget the the term you used, but just bits of adversity. I think you gave us four of them in the sermon last mm-hmm. night, and uh, and then you restated a few of them just now. But they would be sometimes hindrances to longevity in ministry, but they also kind of overlap when it comes to marriage. You know, longevity in marriage. And uh, you've been you were married, I think, in 1966 uh, right. to your wife Sandra. So 57 years married. Uh, what about marriage? Could you give us some keys to longevity in marriage? Well, I thank God for showing me the right one. That's the place to start right there. (laughs) And uh, then uh, I've said before that if I could live any part of my life over and do it again, Mm -hmm. try to do it better, I would like to have the first 10 or 15 years of my marriage to do over. Sure. Now she said it should be twenty-five or thirty, but nonetheless, <laughs> <laughs> she she's pretty hard on me that way. But uh, but in all sincerity, I would love to have that part over because I think I had to be married a long time and to grow in my understanding of how important it is to love her, like the Bible says I'm supposed to love her, mm-hmm. you know. And then that goes right back to staying in love with the Lord. There's not a way I'm going to be right toward her if I'm not right with God. Mm-hmm. I can't be to her what I'm supposed to be if I'm not right with God. And so just to nurture the the time. I remember uh, in 2010, I, we stepped aside from the pastorate. Mm-hmm. And Sandra and I got thrown together in in chunks of time that we had never known before, ever. I mean, week after week together. And at first it was wonderful. And then I realized that, uh, well, women are quite different, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) uh, 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 
to my own fault. Almost everything she did was bugging me and bothering me, you know. Mm. And I knew, I knew I was the problem. I knew it wasn't her. She hadn't changed. She hadn't done anything. And God just convicted me in the reading of the Word, in my Bible reading. Mm. And I confessed to God that I was selfish and that I was not focusing on her like I should. And then I got that right with God and I got it right with her. And I just asked the Lord on a regular basis to, to not just have that affection or that feeling for her, but I want to show her what love really is. First Corinthians 13. Yeah, amen. Yeah, that's terrific. I was yeah. thinking as you were talking there about First Peter 3 and the idea of dwelling with your wives according to knowledge that your prayers be not hindered. Right. I asked you about ministry first uh, and then marriage, but really, you know, we're unsuccessful in ministry if our marriage is not where it needs exactly. to be. Our prayers are hindered. That's so. right. Yeah, thank you for those insights. Um, people have referred to you in my presence as a preacher's preacher. And I certainly see why they would say that. But I think one reason why many preachers follow you or are inspired by you is because of your balance with confidence and humility. Um, you preach very confidently, and I think a preacher should, uh, but then you carry yourself as well with a very humble disposition. And a man must be confident if people are going to follow him, but he must be humble if God's going to bless him and use him. So could you talk a little bit about that balance? Well... If I have it, it's only because. And if I'm going to have it, it's only because we're aware of what Jesus taught. And uh, one of my most favorite uh, preaching exercises is Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the Sermon on the Mount by Matthew's record begins with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And as I understand the Sermon on the Mount, if we don't get that right, mm. then we're going to fail in the whole matter. Mm -hmm. And obviously, uh, poverty of spirit is a recognition of our utter dependence upon Him. Mm -hmm. And if we're not living with a constant awareness of our utter dependence upon Him, then we're going to be focusing on ourselves and our own perceived abilities, mm -hmm. human strength, and it's not going to work. And then I take it very literally when Jesus is talking about abiding in him, and he is the vine and we are the branches, and he said, without me you can do nothing. Yeah. And I take that literally. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, just a recognition of our uh, dependence upon him so that by ourselves and in our own strength, we can't accomplish anything for eternity. Mm -hmm. And uh, so uh, to nurture your walk with the Lord and worship Him, not just at a church service or what is called worship service, but I'm talking about in private worship and keep on our face before Him and uh, humble ourselves before Him and acknowledge His great worth and our dependence upon Him. Mm -hmm. To me... Again, that sounds very simple, but it is simple. We make it complicated if we don't yeah. live with the awareness to do just that. Yeah, it's very helpful. Um, could you talk a little bit about biblical masculinity versus the world's attack? Uh, you know, the, the, the phrase toxic masculinity is thrown around a lot. So could you help us with some balance there? What would you say maybe toxic masculinity is? And, and then what is a biblical definition of masculinity? 
Well, from what I understand, toxic masculinity has to do with uh, that that genuine or what we would call or I would call genuine or real masculinity is therefore we look down upon womanhood or the role of women or the abilities of women and that the gender issues that were negative about them that's what I understand that uh, is perceived by those who observe we who defend biblical masculinity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's totally accurate or not. Yeah, seems, seems that's my understanding. Yeah, a good assessment of it. Of it yeah, uh-huh. yeah. And so there is no doubt an attack on it. And I, and I think that you go back to Romans chapter one, mm-hmm. and whenever a culture or society so rejects God, becomes totally secular, mm-hmm. then. there's not even the possibility of maintaining a proper view of masculinity or femininity. Mm. And uh, so that it's all twisted and distorted and perverted like it is, is actually no surprise when a a, uh, culture totally rejects God Mm -hmm. and his word. And so, but uh, I love, uh, again, the prophets who were mostly demonstrations of masculinity as well as courageous men of God. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the passages I've used lately in men's retreats and such as that conferences is uh, where David uh, was dying and Adonijah tried to get the throne and uh, they took the necessary measure because it was God's will for Solomon to get the throne. And then David gave the admonition to Solomon in, uh, in uh, First Kings, where he said, be strong and show thyself a man. Mm-hmm. And the word man there has to do with uh, not just a male, but one of honor and integrity and that would rise to the occasion mm-hmm. and such as that. And so I, I think that any of us that love God, love the word and the biblical view of masculinity have to be greatly alarmed. Mm-hmm. And I, I have been with, along with many others for a long time about how the women of our culture are becoming more masculine and the men of our culture are becoming more feminine. Mm-hmm. And we know who's behind yeah. that taking place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You mentioned Romans 1. I think in the current cultural context in which we reside, we are conducting ourselves in a Romans 1, 18 through 32 context. No question. Yeah, I think more than ever, I agree with your explanation on biblical masculinity, more than ever we need that 1 Corinthians 16, 13, quit you like men. Yes, sir. And the same Old Testament idea to which you referred is restated in that verse about yeah. being strong. And Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Amen. What, what would you say as far as maybe a, a biblical sense of femininity? What would you... What advice would you give to females that might be listening to this podcast as far as how to conduct themselves in a Romans 1 kind of culture? Well, don't let the world tell you what females are supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. Uh, let the Word of God tell you. Yeah. And uh, and there is no question in my mind, and I'm aware of the ways women were used in, in the Bible and such as that, but the Proverbs 31 woman, mm-hmm. It doesn't mean she's a nobody. I, I like to say about my wife, who has a very meek and quiet spirit, which in the sight of God is a great price. Yeah. And, and she's been a real incredible asset 
in that way. Uh, and there are those that have would say something like this about my wife. Well, I'm not like your wife. I'm not that meek and quiet person. Well, and and just because I'm going to say what I think. And Miss Sandy, she may not have an opinion. She may not talk. And I just say, you know, she is a good thinker. And when she does talk, uh, people listen to her. And when she talks, I listen to her. And uh, it's not like she never has anything to say. Mm -hmm. She just doesn't believe she has to say it. Mm, yeah. And then when she does say it, it's in the right context, in the right setting. And I've often used what she said when uh, others may not have known she ever said it because in a certain setting, she's going to defer and be meek and withhold what she could say just because she doesn't believe she has to be heard. Hmm. And that's the difference between that meek and quiet spirit and those that don't have it. Hmm. And it's amazing to me how many get uh, try to get themselves off the hook and say, well, I'm just outspoken. Well, that's my mother was that way. My grandmother was that way. Well, I could tell you how some of my kinfolks were that are totally contrary to the Word of God. So should I just justify myself in misbehavior before God because it's in our family? <laughs> Why, certainly not. Right. We let the Lord and the Word of God change us yeah. to be what we're supposed to be. Yeah, amen. That's yeah. a very good answer. Um, as you think about, uh, I mentioned our cultural context and be kind of in a Romans 1 environment, but as you think uh, broader than that and think about what's going on in our world right now, this war in Israel uh, against Hamas, an official declaration of war by Benjamin Netanyahu, first time in 50 years that they've been officially at war. Um, what, what are your thoughts on this war against Hamas? Well, um, just a word here. I was in summer school of Bible college in 1967. Uh, at the time of the Six-Day War. Hmm. And uh, I just had one class, and it was a prophecy class. Okay. And I was blessed to have a wonderful teacher at that time, uh, Brother Bill Sears. And, oh, my goodness, the class was amazing. Well, one thing I came away from uh, that summer was, okay, I've graduated from Bible college. I've been married one year. We're getting ready to start out in full-time ministry, and we were just weeks away from making that move. And I thought, well, based upon what I'm hearing in that class and what I'm feeling and thinking about with what's going on in the Middle East in that war, I remember thinking, the only thing is, I'll never get to be out in ministry or preach because Jesus is coming, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. And, and I think maybe when events like this happen, should we think about eschatology? Of course. Mm -hmm. How can we not? Yeah. But I don't think we should jump to conclusions that, uh, maybe are an overreaction to the turmoil and the confusion and the way the stage is being set because um, uh, w what I see there is a continuation of the hate for Israel mm -hmm. and uh, is it a mounting hate? I I'm not sure we're able to say that it is uh, more so than in times past when you consider uh, the attack upon Israel at the time of the Six-Day War, uh, World War II, and Nazi Germany, and such as that. But I do believe that our 
antennas, so to speak, should go up mm -hmm. in these type of events because I do believe that the spirit of Antichrist is at work. Mm -hmm. I do believe that the uh, chaos and the confusion, the hatred toward Israel, I do believe is a part of the uh, coming together of the configuration, you know, when you study Ezekiel 38 and 39, mm -hmm. and that there is a growing desire perhaps for a ruler or somebody that can make sense or bring peace. And of course, we know when the Antichrist is revealed, mm -hmm. then there is going to be a time of uh, false peace that's going to be broken by the lies of the Antichrist. Mm -hmm. And so I, I look at it, and I, does it uh, prick my interest and stir my heart about all of the prophetic events and everything? Yes, it does. Do I think, well, here it is right here in the Bible, and here's what's next? I, I don't, I think that's going too far. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Does it make sense? Yeah, well? oh yeah. Um, I'm mindful of uh, uh, Psalm 122, where the Bible talks about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Also, though, I think Psalm, uh, the, the previous Psalm 121, talks about how God never slumbers nor sleeps. And people like to uh, apply that personally, and, and maybe there's applications to be made there. When I'm going through a trial, God never slumbers nor sleeps. Yeah. But in 121, it's in the context of, God's watch care for Israel. Yeah. Um, and so, but then I also think, and I wonder what you think about this. I've heard uh, some preachers say that this Israeli-Palestinian conflict is going to exist um, even until uh, Armageddon. You know, so it's like we're instructed to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but there's going to be conflict uh, even in end times. There's no question about that, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. There's no question about that at all. And I think it's interesting, too, the, the the small number of Jews alive around the world today, I think some 15 million, only like eight or nine, live in Israel. And there's Jews, you know, compared to America, 330 million of us. And I think, and, and since, since Genesis 16, uh, people have been trying to, you know, exterminate the Jews, basically. Mm -hmm. right. uh, and yet the idea in Psalm 121 that God never slumbers nor sleeps, but his watch cares is over Israel. Like, I think he's maintained them in spite of six million being exterminated in the Holocaust. And um, it's just incredible. It uh, is. Yeah. It truly is. And and I, I agree with that 100 percent that, uh, I mean, obviously, because the word of God says so, that he is going to be their protector. And there are people that say, well, what would Israel do if they didn't have America for a friend? Mm -hmm. And uh, they could be annihilated. Well, no, the survival of Israel does not depend upon America. Amen. But the survival of America do, may depend upon our allegiance oh, yeah. to be pro-Israel. Yeah. You know, I mean, very simple. Yeah. Bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse Amen. Yeah, yeah, Genesis 12, 3. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, stuff. Uh, Brother Sam, would you talk to us about um, a spirit in a church that's conducive for church growth? We know that Jesus builds his church, but there are some things that church leaders and church members can do that promote uh, vitality in the church and health in a church. It, you have pastored churches that are thriving uh, even to this day. Uh, we're blessed to be at a church that's growing, but what are some keys that you could give a listener as far as cultivating a spirit of growth within their faith family? Yeah, um, well, a, lo a lot of it's got to come from the pulpit, mm -hmm. and uh, preaching has to inspire the desire to reach people. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, so I break it down into uh, the acronym PR. Now, we know PR usually stands for public relations, but I think a church needs to be very PR conscious. Pursue and receive. And pursue just has to do with it ought to be in the culture of a church that not just on soul winning day or night or bus ministry visitation or whatever the case, but on the job, seven days a week, neighborhood, family, co-workers, that we ought to be people that are in pursuit of those that are unsaved and or unchurched. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife and I, uh, I've had the privilege of preaching over these years in over 600 churches. And my wife and I, especially since 2010, when I stepped aside from pastoring, and uh, we've noticed that around the country, the churches that are in pursuit of people mm-hmm. are reaching some. Mm-hmm. And the churches, it, it's evident in the church. And uh, the ones that are not reaching people are making excuses for why you can't reach people. Right, yeah. And so some are pursuing and having fruit. Some are not pursuing and making excuses that you can't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so then the other idea is re- receive, PR, pursue and receive. And by that I mean uh, the church needs to be nurtured to have a receiving attitude towards those that come in the doors. I have been with a couple of preachers here just lately that are frustrated out of their minds that the people act like they want to grow, and then when the visitors do come, it's it's like they don't even know them or know they're there or go out of their way to try to make them feel welcome or introduce themselves or show hospitality or things like that. And so there has to be people that are willing to go to church and pay attention to people that are there that need attention. Mm -hmm. And instead of their cronies, their buddies, their clique, or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I I hate to use those terms. They sound negative, but they they exist. Sure. And who's suffering from that? Oftentimes is people that somebody worked to get to come to church but the only people they care they're there is the person that brought them to church. Yeah. If anybody brought them. Right. You know. Yeah. And so I th- that's that's very big. And then the uh, attitude of the pastor mm-hmm. and the nature of preaching to motivate and to stir people to care and understand this is not a Christian social club. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people out here that need what this church is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Um, I would say that I am an independent fundamental Baptist. I'd use those terms to describe me. Uh, would you use those terms uh, to describe yourself, independent fundamental Baptist? And then if so, could you kind of unpack them a little bit? What, what do they mean as far as you're concerned? Yeah, and I would use the terms. That's another thing. I'm not going to let the culture take away good words mm-hmm. and good terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Uh, because nobody minds it if we talk about the fundamentals of basketball right. <laughs> or football right. or economy. Mm-hmm. In fact, we'd all be better off if people would pay attention to the fundamentals right. of economy. Right. And so that word is fundamental 
to understanding what's fundamental for our existence. Mm -hmm. So to be a fundamental person in relation to the Bible and being a Baptist, I'm not going to stop using the word fundamental, but I am going to take time to make sure that people understand what it means. Mm -hmm. You know what I, sure. what I mean by that? And, and uh, so if I say I'm a fundamental, if I'm a guest preacher somewhere, I say I'm fundamental, then I just give them a brief reminder of what the word means and what it's about and how important fundamental thinking is mm -hmm. to our very existence. Mm -hmm. See, so in relation to eternal things, why wouldn't I care about the things that are fundamental to truth? Yeah. I do care about them. I'm going to talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. And so independent, yeah, I, I am happy about that for sure. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of people that are fed up with, quote, mainstream religion anyway. Mm -hmm. And when they hear you're not a part of something that's mainstream out here, mm -hmm. you might have their ear more than you think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then as far as being a Baptist, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about it, you know, because of our heritage and Baptist history. Mm -hmm. And uh, pretty much like how Christians became, uh, came to be called Christians. It wasn't something they had a council and said, let's call ourselves Christians. Mm -hmm. Others observed and called themselves that. And it, it, our history uh, tells us that uh, Baptists didn't have a conclave or a meeting of some kind and decide, let's use the word Baptist. We were called that by others. And so, yeah. And then the body of truth that we represent is traced all the way back to Jesus and the apostles. Yeah. And nobody else can claim that. Yeah. 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 Amen. Uh, yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, what about, uh, it's kind of become controversial to refer to old paths, uh, to say, I liked it. I'm 44 years old now, so I guess I'm middle-aged, but I maybe 10 years ago used to say that I was a young pastor, but I'm still on the old path. And uh, some maybe in younger generations have kind of tried to say that when you say you're old paths, you're misapplying Jeremiah 6.16. So would you use that term? And and uh, and I still would myself, but I just kind of wonder what your thoughts are on that. And probably you would say, I'm not going to let the culture take away words from me. Yeah. But what are your thoughts about that? Well, here's, uh, in, so this is 30 years ago. It was the year of 1993. I'd been pastoring at Southwest for three years. Okay. And we hosted a national meeting of the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, Independent Baptist Churches, and had hundreds of pastors come. It was, it was an incredible and a great meeting. Mm -hmm. And the theme of the meeting was, ask for the old paths. Okay. That was the theme of the meeting, which I thought everybody would be happy about that. <laughs> and I was totally, <laughs> absolutely amazed how our own church people that worked seriously worked to host hundreds of people hundreds yeah uh it, it, to host them had pastors and i had all, all of our people in a uniform type thing so i could recognize those that are here to serve them and such as that and how many of them were told by pastors uh how that they resented and how many of our people heard conversations about the old path and resented it hmm. now a large element of course loved it yeah, yeah but there was that element uh that was pretty strong yeah and i didn't realize it but pretty strong hmm. and yeah they were totally opposed to that yeah so it's funny you bring that up that was 30 years ago right yeah so that people are nervous about that now doesn't surprise me a bit oh yeah, yeah not yeah. a bit 
And no, and so sure, let's do an exegesis of uh, the book of Jeremiah yeah. and his usage of the old past. And it's still not hard to make a jump from Jeremiah's day to this day yeah. and some of the things we defend. And some of the things we defend are, sure, they're a choice in practice or function mm-hmm. in style and that thing. But not everything that's under attack mm-hmm. has to do with that. Some of it has to do with fundamental truth and fundamental biblical practice. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, I asked you some questions about ministry and marriage. Um, what about children? What, what advice do you have maybe for young parents that are trying to raise children? I know you have kids and grandkids. Do you have great-grandkids? We have five great-grandchildren. Wow, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you've probably counseled your kids and your kids' kids about parenting. What, what kind of uh, biblical advice as far as parenting goes would you have for our listener? Well, um, you know, the, the basic, uh, bring up a child in the way he should go and all of that. I, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, love in the home and genuineness. I think one of the greatest things that um, parents can do is be Christians at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And I know that sounds so simple, but most church problems would be solved if people would just be Christians at church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great place to be a Christian, you know. <laughs> and if we're not going to do it there, are we serious about being a Christian out in the world, you right. know? Yeah. And if we don't do it at home, then are we serious about going to church and being the good Christian? Mm-hmm. And so I think what would help a lot of children in their stability and their appreciation for the things of God and church life and everything, if they see their parents living at home, what they are saying amen to, mm-hmm. or at least taking their children to hear at church, yeah. that if they see it demonstrated. And so that would cover a broad spectrum of things having to do with our own patience with our children, our own love to our children, willingness to guide them in the things of God. Mm-hmm. What do you recommend as far as discipline uh, of your children? You got any kind of advice on balance with discipline, those kinds of things? Yeah. Um, again, you know, the times I've ever apologized to my children uh, had to do with not that I disciplined them, but I didn't discipline them with the right spirit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's that's very important. And uh, I think um, somebody gave me a series of uh, tapes, cassette tapes, so this tells how long ago that was. Uh, way back when our children were, st- in fact, I just had two children at the time, and our son hadn't been born yet. And uh, it was a s- uh, Raising Children Family by Charles Stanley. Okay. Well, I wasn't a big fan of his, but I had this I was doing some physical work and I could listen while I was working. Sure. And so I listened to that series. And one of the things he said was in, in showing patience and love and self-restraint and disciplining our children, one of the things he, he taught was someone had taught him, don't make a federal case out of every dis- misdemeanor. Mm. Don't take a misdemeanor and make a federal case out of it. Mm-hmm. And when he said that, I was—I can tell you right where I was and what I was doing. When he said that, it was like a hammer hit me. Mm. And that's what I'd been doing with my kids. Okay. Every misdemeanor was a federal case. Mm. And back off. 
And if it's a misdemeanor, then treat it like a misdemeanor. Yeah. yeah. If it's a federal case, then sure, extreme measures are necessary. Yeah. And just discerning, self-control, spirit-led, got to have it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your devotional life like personally, if, you, if you're comfortable to share that? And then uh, maybe yours is different than what you'd recommend for others. So what, what would you recommend for a devotional life for others? And maybe what would you share a little bit about your own personal? Yeah, uh, I'm, I made a commitment in 1991, so that was 32 years ago, to read the Bible an hour a day. And I'll spare that story and how that came about. But we had a guest preacher. I'd been at Southwest for one year in Oklahoma City. And so uh, I was the first one at the altar, and God dealt with my heart that I was in the Word so I could talk to people or preach to people Mm -hmm. and tell them what the Word of God says. I was not in the Word so God could speak to me, and it made a huge difference. And I committed to read the Bible an hour a day, and I've never read the Bible less than four times a year with that method, and mostly now it's five to six times a year. And uh, so uh, whatever you're going to do, be a Bible reader. And they have all these plans, read the Bible and do this and that. I made up my own plan, and I go by it. And so I'm reading in the Old Testament, and then I have a New Testament. I go back and forth some. But I do that. I do it the first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have that time with God. I'll, I'll fight for that time. Yeah, that's great. And, uh, yeah. And, and then uh, my prayer time, if I can have it, Right then I do if the schedule is such that I have to do it another time. But I'm going to have my prayer time uh, every day, and that might go from a minimum of 30 minutes to 45 and sometimes an hour, but mostly 30 to 45 minutes. Do you keep a prayer journal, or do you have uh, some, some kind of thing to remind you to pray for certain yeah, requests? Our, our, our pastor made up at our last missions conference, uh, they made up a, an outstanding a prayer book for missionaries mm. and then it has some other pages so I uh, reorganize them about every month or so Okay. And but I'm praying for the missionaries through that journal and then I keep my other prayer requests family and you know I have it all categorized into family and fellow people in ministry that are in special need and have requested prayer for certain things not just physical needs but their pastoral transition or problems in the church things like that so yeah, that's what I, those then pray pray for our country. I do that systematically. Yeah, brother Sam, thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I really have enjoyed chatting with you. Appreciate that. Yes, it's a blessing. Thank you, brother. Yeah.